It's a joy to welcome Claire Thompson with us here this morning. Let's give Claire a welcome. And um, Claire's continuing our series, Renewal. And uh, it's, yeah, thank you, Claire, so much for being with us. Good morning, everybody. It's so nice to be with you. It's been absolutely ages um, because of COVID, obviously. But I've missed you. And it's really nice to be back. Um, so you've been doing this little series on renewal, and um, today we're going to look at the idea of the renewing of the mind and heart, which is a big theme in scripture. But there's, first of all, there's a story that a British newspaper sent out an inquiry to famous authors asking the question, what is wrong with the world? And the writer, G.K. Chesterton, responded, dear sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. G.K. Chesterton, if you ever get a chance to, as a writer who is kind of end of the 1800s, early 1900s, just an incredible wit and um, famous for his one-liners. Dear sir, I am wrong with the world. And I don't know if you relate to that idea, but do you ever have that kind of feeling, I wish I could get out of my head and sort of switch it off for a minute or two, or I wish I could get out of my body, because there's something in here that is, you know, it's not just what's wrong with the world, but it's something that's wrong with me that can feel so uncomfortable and out of sync with some sense that we might have that something else is possible, a better way and a better way of thinking and living and feeling might be possible, but it's tricky to actually stay in that place. Wave at me if you know what I'm talking about. You know, that sort of sense of being out of sync. Well, sometimes we talk about the idea of being triggered. Do you know that word? Do you, anyone relate to the idea of being triggered? You know, what would, what would trigger you in your life, I wonder? What are the little sort of things that when, you know, you've got a button that gets pressed in certain circumstances? Maybe when you're triggered, you're an angry, flare-up sort of person. And in your normal best self, you wouldn't normally be like that. But, oh, some things just press that button or... Maybe for you, being triggered feels more like an anxiety sort of thing that becomes a bit overwhelming. Something happens to you, certain things press your buttons. So while I'm just sort of kicking off, what, what, press, what things press your buttons? What things trigger you? What are the things that make you feel not your best self? And just, I just want you to sort of hold those things in your mind. Maybe for you, it's like, oh, the list is too long. Please just stop talking about it. And others of you are like, I know exactly. There are certain things that really get to me. And what does God say to those of us who feel triggered? And I think it's all of us every now and again. What does God say to that? Is there anything hopeful that the Bible says about our kind of vulnerability to anxiety or fear or compulsions, our vulnerability to our own inner critic that just won't shut up. What does the Bible say about those things? And so we're going to talk a bit about sort of mental and emotional resilience just for a few minutes today. And that's kind of where we're going. We're going to listen to a promise in the Bible that God makes to all of us that speaks into that. But just want to say, first of all, that when we're talking about mental and emotional resilience in church, we're not saying that um, you just need to, you know, 
just ignore all the kind of general good advice because this one's better. Anything, when we're talking about mental and emotional health, it's always good to do all the good stuff. Eat well, sleep well, go outside into nature. It's always good to do those things. This isn't a denial of that at all. It's good to go to your doctor. It's good to use medication if that's what is needed. And in fact, it's also good to be here and to connect. And I want to encourage you, if you're, especially if you're online, to come back into the building as soon as you can, as soon as your triggers allow you to, or whatever other circumstances you've got. I, I want to encourage you, because the Bible makes it really clear that gathering together as people is part of God's plan for emotional and spiritual health. So come back. If you're not sure, give it a go. <laughs> And um, in fact, in studies, two-thirds of people with mental health problems say they are lonely most or all of the time. It's huge loneliness is in our society. It is complete. There's a pandemic of loneliness, and COVID has exaggerated and made it worse. So all of those things are essential, and none of what I'm going to say is negating any of that. So, but in the Bible, God does seem to offer this quite tantalizing promise of transformation and moving forward and growing. So, in Ezekiel chapter 6, it says this. Now, just maybe close your eyes for a minute and listen to this incredible promise that God makes to his people. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. It's an amazing idea, isn't it, that it's possible to have a bit of a heart transplant or a brain transplant (laughs) to be able to actually see some change. So we're going to look at that promise and... um, and just unpack it a little bit with another Bible verse in a few minutes. But first of all, I'm just going to ask my friend Roz to come up, who is uh, sitting at the back, and she's really looking forward to sharing with you today. (laughs) Come on up. (laughs) And she's just going to... Yeah. So Roz has been coming here for a couple of years, and some of you will know her, and she's got some really good friends here. And um, she's been on a bit of a journey, really, I think is true to say. (laughs) And, um, and I think you'll hear more about that journey as time goes on, but she's just going to give you a little snippet of some of the things that have been happening to her in the last couple of years that have led to some degree of transformation. I think she's definitely going to say that it's a bit of a journey and she's not all, all completely there. But she's going to read out the first bit of her testimony story and then I'm going to ask you a question. So, Ros, go for it. Good morning. So... Um, four weeks ago, it might be a surprise, I was 60. And um, <laughs> thank you, Ed. <laughs> For most of the 60 years, um, I've not known God. I haven't thought about faith or, or believed my life would be anything but a dark place of survival. I've had periods of significant mental illness in relation to trauma and have felt unlovable, hopeless and no sense of purpose. Ironically, at the same time, I've worked and functioned quite well as a nurse and then a social worker in the field of mental health. 
so I have a good understanding about mental illness and what might support recovery. This understanding did help on some levels, but I never felt at peace, loved or valued. These feelings were heightened two years ago when I became the victim of a fraud that led me to being defrauded out of £270,000. I felt like all the struggles I had overcome to enable me to sustain work, build a home for myself and create something that was of value was taken overnight. I was devastated. I felt hopeless in a very dark place. And then Rachel, with whom I worked, asked if she could pray for me. Well, that was really out there. She has since told me she has never done such a thing at work before, but felt the only thing to do was pray as I was in such a state. At that time, I had no understanding of God, and I didn't really understand what prayer would do, but hey, felt like I had nothing to lose. What fault has... What has followed from that one prayer is a journey that has been questioning, remarkable, challenging, difficult, and evoked many tears. But now, two years later, my survival defenses and my whole way of relating to the world have started to change, and I have a sense of something different, more wholesome, and something that brings me hope, rest, and some peace. This is an entirely new experience. Understanding this transition is not easy. It's not like I have suddenly become a committed Christian, but I have got to know Christians and the work of God, and in so doing, I have been offered a different perspective on my life. A year after my fraud, I was repaid all the money that I had lost. This was extraordinary and shouldn't have happened, judging by the legal frameworks at that time. Um, but it did. At that time, some viewed this as a miracle. Not me, really, but maybe now, yes, it was. <laughs> um, I believe I may have been visited by the Holy Spirit a number of times, so people have told me when I have relayed an experience I had. I never really understood this concept, but now I think maybe yes. It really is the Holy Spirit. On numerous occasions, I've experienced something which I thought was a coincidence, but now I believe maybe a good force at work or a message being delivered. A line from Psalm 39 has been quoted to me repeatedly for two years, fearfully and wonderfully made. No idea what this meant. Now I think, well, maybe I'm an all right person. This is enormous progress. <laughs> and these shifts, I think, have come about because I've been able, through the persistence and friendship of Christians, lots of prayers by them, and by starting to understand the messages in the Bible, to feel confident enough to drop my defenses a little, which has led to the softening and opening up of my heart. My journey has started, and I hope it continues. Amazing. 
is so, so good. It's such a brilliant story, and there's so much more to it. And one day, I keep saying to Roz, we're going to just have to film a testimony. But I'm just going to ask you a little question, because um, I know that recently, a couple of weeks ago, you had an experience, and it was, you know, in some ways quite a simple, small experience, but it demonstrated something to you that, yes, I've actually changed. And just just tell us what what actually happened. So uh, what happened was that out of the blue, I received a very abusive, abusive and vitriolic test message from a family member. This type of abuse is not unfil- unfamiliar to me, but before it would have made me feel deeply hurt, made me question what I'd done wrong and prompt me to try and fix the situation to keep the peace. I did none of these things, which in truth surprised and delighted me. I understood this wasn't about me, that I was powerless to make any difference, and I prayed that God would help as he was clearly in a very bad way. I also reflect on an analogy I had been discussing earlier just that very same day, one of those coincidences I talked about earlier. I had been repointing an old stone wall in my garden and in conversation was prompted to read Nehemiah when he was asked to rebuild the wall. In reading the passage, I felt like the work on my wall was like the buildings of foundation for something much more stable, even when adversary may come, which it did just a few hours later. That's amazing. Thank you, Ros. Give her another little round of applause. Thank you so much. And um, I know that Roz has felt really essential part of that journey has been just being befriended by people in this church. So um, that's, it's all part of this whole picture that God wants to provide for us through each other, but also through that amazing experience of renewal. And, you know, it's hard to kind of sum up a life, but, you know, Roz was 60 last week. <laughs> and it's, and, you know, <laughs> yeah, but she looks amazing. Um, <laughs> And I'm nearly there anyway, so <laughs> there's, you know, to, to have a life that's been transformed in the last two years, having had all of that experience is incredible, and it's something that gives us hope. So how does it happen, transformation? What do you think? You know, what, how do you think? What's the mechanics of it? This is something that fascinates me because this is the area of work that I do. It's kind of ministry and counselling and prayer and talking to people about how to change. How do, what's the actual nuts and bolts of it? And obviously that's a huge thing, but I'm just going to zoom in on one passage that's really familiar and pick out three things this morning that might, just might help us to come back to and refresh our thoughts and our minds around what happens in transformation. And if you're listening in or if you're here in the building and you're new to faith, then I want to encourage you to kind of get hungry for transformation, to to sort of wake up to the possibility that you can change and that you can be less triggered in the future. That would be good, wouldn't it? So here's another passage, again, really familiar. It's Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, I think, (laughs) by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable and perfect. Lots of us know that passage off by heart. It's really familiar. It's Romans chapter 12. It's after Paul has been expounding some of the most incredible theology that exists in the world. And, you know, he's talked about the love of God, the perfect love of God that you cannot be separated from. He's talked about what is wrong with the world and then what God's done to put it right. And then at the end of it, he says this, therefore, in view of all of this, this is what we need to do. Um, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's the first thing he says. So in terms of transformation, Paul is giving you three little nuggets here that help us to know how to be transformed. So, So let's just sort of go there. The very first thing he really says is return yourself to God in self offering, in worship. Come back to God regularly. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. What does that mean? It means more than just words. It means more than just singing a couple of songs on a Sunday morning. It means this conscious self-offering to God. Aware that when you offer yourself to God, it's going to have some ramifications in other areas of your life. It's not just something that we do or give kind of lip service to. It's an actual, genuine, heartfelt returning yourself to God. And if you've been a Christian forever and been on this journey for a long time, I think it's easy to forget. You can end up going through the motions of doing things in the right way and you forget that actually, in humility, in view of God's mercy, we need to regularly just come back to God, return yourself, your life, your mind, your heart, your soul to God and say it. I worship you, God. In fact, right now, I just want you to do something. Just put both of your hands open in that sort of gesture. Just close your eyes and just be conscious of the fact that that gesture is like an open gesture, isn't it? It's not grabbing. It's not striving. It's just open. And, you know, The ancient church used to use body postures all the time to try and signify something to God. Sometimes they would lie flat on their face. There's something about opening yourself to God and just in an uncomplicated way saying, I offer myself to you as a living sacrifice. And I challenge you to do that regularly. And why does that help us be transformed? Because it is the last thing a broken, fearful defensive person wants to do is open yourself there's something about our brokenness that makes us withdraw into a little into ourselves and hide ourselves behind masks and defenses and Ros referred to it the idea of being a defended person she's moving out of being self-defended into something else it's a bit mysterious And I want to encourage you to recognize that where we have been broken or hurt or harmed in life, we're likely to be defensive and defended, aren't we? But Paul says, before you do anything else, open yourself to God and dare risk yourself before God. And the reason why he says you can risk yourself is because he spent 11 chapters telling us what God has done to make it okay, make us able to trust him. So renewal of our mind actually involves us getting God's perspective and a new, renewed biblical perspective on why we can actually 
do that. So return our God in self-offering. And worship really is orientating ourselves around the true reality of what is happening in the world, what we understand and know to be true. Second thing Paul says is you've got to do some resistance. You've got to put up some conscious resistance to the culture around you. And you've got to wake up a little bit. And I think Paul is being a bit provocative here. He's saying, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Are you conformed to it? Well, yes, you definitely are. You may think you're not, but you definitely are because you are being bombarded with messages from our culture that are designed to press your buttons, to trigger you. And they will draw you constantly into cycles of triggering and then recovering and maybe confessing to God and saying, I'm sorry, I got angry about that. Actually, really, I was afraid. And you might do all of this thing, but Paul is saying, do you not understand that there's something that you've got to resist here? And in fact, it often comes down to really simple things about life. When Jesus talked about anxiety, which is one of our big triggers, isn't it? He actually talked about food and clothing and provision. Anyone not need any food or clothing? You all need it, don't you? And in fact, it's a trigger for us. Provision, am I going to be all right? Have I got enough? Will I be enough? There are triggers. There are everyday normal triggers. And Jesus says it's possible not to be anxious about that because God gets you. And so Paul is really saying, wise up. Your triggers are going to be in everyday life and you have to be awake to it. You have to resist the culture that is pressurizing you to conform and consciously say, you know, when you're triggered, maybe let's take something really simple, like you're triggered around money. There has to be a moment for somebody who's trying to follow Jesus and be transformed where you just say, okay, God, can I trust you for provision? I am returning myself to you now in self-offering, in worship, and I am asking you to provide for me because you said that you would. Just doing those kinds of things are the process of transformation. And then finally, Paul says, you've got to rethink things. You've got to get some renewal of your mind. And he uses a word for renewal, and I can't even say it, anachionosis, I think it says, but it, it's, it's a Greek word, and it means renovation, complete change for the better, effected by the Holy Spirit. And it's got this action by the Holy Spirit from outside of you. And one of the things that we've got to recognize is that we can't do this stuff by ourselves. It's an act of the Holy Spirit. So Roz would say that she spent many years trying to work on her thinking. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good idea. And she probably had quite a few different brushes at it in different ways. And she's a mental health expert. And she's been helping other people do the same thing all that time. But something is happening, something a bit mysterious in Ros's life. And we would say that is the action of the Holy Spirit as he comes in and renews us from the inside out. Because ultimately, it's an action of the Spirit. And it's prophesied in the Old Testament in Ezekiel 36. I'm going to do that. I'm going to give you a new mind and a new heart. I'm going to put my spirit in you. And that little promise ends and move you to follow my decrees, move you from the inside out. It is a bit of a mystery. 
But transformation comes as the spirit does something that we cannot really quantify in tiny little steps. But by offering ourselves in worship, opening ourselves to God, resisting the culture, we can actually invite the spirit and say, come, change me. Give me that new heart. Give me that new mind. Give me that... um, renewal in my heart and soul and so those are I think just three little pointers and there's some things you could do to this week and I've got a slide up here I've got a little bit of homework for you so you can take a photo of it or maybe these guys could send it out to you afterwards that's probably a good idea and I'm just going to challenge you to do some transformation work this week everyone can do this Psalm 103 talks about the nature of God it's beautiful And it talks about how amazing he is, how compassionate and merciful. It's very often the view of God that we've got can be a bit cramped and small and mean-spirited. And if you read Psalm 103, it is really this kind of expansive view of how brilliant God is. And I'm challenging you, read it and write down what it shows about the nature of God. I don't care if you believe it or not, just write down what the psalm is claiming. And just have a look and see what is in there. Secondly, bring your triggers to God. Be conscious of what triggers you. Now, I think that there's something that is very good that is happening in culture around that sort of thing that probably older people of my generation and older haven't been that good at. Self-awareness, really knowing what presses our buttons and understanding ourselves. And I just want to challenge you, be aware of what triggers you and bring it into, um, put it down on some paper. And then finally, do something really risky and courageous and actually pray a prayer and say, God, I want to take my defences down and I want to dare to open myself to you And I'll ask you, invite you to send your Holy Spirit and renew me and show me my innermost life and help me to understand. And that's really where Paul is taking people. And there is a mysterious element to it because it's about the inviting of the Holy Spirit, a person, not a force, not a power, not a technique, but a person who cannot be contained. But there's overwhelming evidence in the Bible and in the church he comes when, he call, when you call him. And Brother Lawrence, a monk from the 14th century, said, you need not cry very loud because he is nearer than you think. So that's my suggestions on renewal and transformation. I'm going to pray. I just think it would be a good moment now to maybe just close our eyes and be a bit open-hearted take a few risks. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and speak to you and help you to find renewal and transformation. So let's pray. Previously in Romans, Paul says this, hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And that's what he wants to do today. Pour out his love into your heart, whoever you are, wherever you're at with this journey, even if you barely know any of this. 
He wants to pour his love into your heart through the Holy Spirit. So, dear God, we just come to you again. Again, we offer ourselves, we return ourselves to you this morning. If you're online at home, just encourage you, put your hands out and be receptive and open to God. Say to him, I return myself to you. Please accept this offering, my mind, body, soul and spirit. Thank you for the reassurance in that scripture that says this is acceptable to God. Worship that is acceptable. I am acceptable to you, God. And I pray, Father God, that you would show us what is going on on the inside that triggers us and traps us and stops us from finding wholeness and freedom. Come with a piercing light of your presence and show us up. Show us what is going on inside. Take us on a journey towards wholeness and freedom and self-awareness. And today I pray, Father God, would you pour your love into this room, into the lives and hearts and minds of people who are listening. Come, love of God. Be poured into people's hearts now by the power of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. When I was praying for this this morning, I just felt reminded of your amazing community garden that you've been building and growing and cultivating and just this sense of God saying, this is a sign of what I'm doing amongst you in the neighborhood, in your lives. I'm sure you've thought it yourselves if you've been involved with it, but God is the greatest gardener of all. And he teaches us in the Bible many times through gardening metaphors. He's going to plough your heart, remove weeds and thorns. He's going to heal the ground where there's been toxic waste poured upon it by another. And he's going to grow things in your lives that you never imagined were possible. He's going to make you fruitful, bring a harvest through your life. So come, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your promises. Just one really slightly obscure thing. I just sense that there was somebody who was going to be listening today who's struggling to give up smoking <laughs> and it's annoyed you that you can't get on top of it. And I just felt God saying, I'm going to bring a, a wave of renewal and, and a sense of peace and power that will enable you to just give that up, let go of that habit because actually it's, it's to do with your triggers. <laughs> to do with anxiety and to do with finding some, something physical but God's going to give you something internal that will renew you and set you free so thank you for your freedom God <laughs>